0: Uh, We're in Luke chapter 1 this morning. I kind of went a little bit long last week, um, uh, not particularly in time, although some of you might disagree, but in uh, the scripture, I kind of went past what I was planning on teaching, um, so it kind of forced me to pick another passage that we would have skipped over had we stayed with my original plan, but the Lord had other plans. And so this morning, we're going to start, and we're going to actually talk about The Fulfillment of God's Promise to Elizabeth that we studied two weeks ago in Luke chapter 1. Now, I just want you to kind of have the big picture in mind, because all of Scripture is about Jesus. You know, sometimes it's harder than others to see that, but all Scripture is is to point us to uh, the fulfillment of God's promise to the nation of Israel. Now, if you know much about the Bible, and if you don't, Uh, It doesn't matter because at the the end of the Old Testament and the prophets there, God is speaking through prophets to the nation of Israel, uh, many times in correction and many times in blessing, telling about and reminding them of the promised Messiah. But at this point in Luke chapter one, we're actually at a spot where God has been seemingly silent to the nation of Israel, not for four days, not for four weeks. Not for four months, not for four years, but 400 years. Now think about this. Anybody that you know, that you speak to on a daily basis, if they're silent and they don't speak to you for a long period of time, you start to notice and you start to yearn to hear their voice. Maybe it's someone you haven't seen since high school. Maybe it's somebody in your family you get to see maybe once a year. There are those relationships that God gives us that sometimes we just we don't get to see each other as often. But in this case, Israel... God's called out people, this nation, set apart for God's purposes, has not heard from their originator for 400 years. 400 years. That's four, five generations at best, maybe even more. And so the nation of Israel is still holding on to the promise that God would provide for them a Messiah, a Christ, someone to... Help them with their enemies, someone to deliver them from the clutches of death, someone who will lead them as a people. But first and foremost, God wanted to deal with their sin. They had a whole priesthood set up to deal with their sin. And he did that through the shedding of blood and bulls, and they would give all these offerings, and they put them on the altar. There's cleansing that went along with it. They would have to cut off certain parts and burn them as a, a thank offering. And then there was all these other guilt offerings. They would lay their hands on a on a sheep, and they would sacrifice one, and they would send the other one outside of the camp carrying the sins of the nation. And so there was all these types and shadows and foretellings, of what Jesus would be, the lamb, the spotless lamb of God, who came to take away the sin of the world on his shoulders. And so before that happens, though, as we look at these message series that I've been doing about preparing for Christmas, last couple of weeks we've talked about how first and foremost, Gabriel came to individual people. (laughs) This is an angel for a specific purpose that came to speak to Zacharias, and told him, hey, your wife who has been barren for all these years, God's going to give you a child through her. And this child will be named John. And he will he will proclaim that, that salvation is coming. That the Messiah that's been promised, he's on his way. He's going to prepare the way in the hearts of the Israelites to receive their king. And so this is the first time in 400 years that God has spoken to the nation. And the promise is, hey, I'm going to give you a prophet. And this prophet is going to be like, unlike any other prophet, he's going to be from your family. And so this prophet foretold, and then next thing you know, Gabriel, he's not only speaking to one person, but he's going to another. He says, he goes to Mary and speaks to her and says, God's going to give you a son, But this is not going to be just any other son. This is going to be the son of God. The Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you and is going to fill you with the seed. And this son will be actually uh, the son of God. And you're going to carry him and you're going to name him and and all these things. But so that she would know, hey, this promise is going to be fulfilled three months before that, you're Cousin Elizabeth is already with child this cousin that was barren in the womb. She's going to bring forth a child. And so what happens is Mary says, wow, how are these things going to be so? And then Gabriel tells her, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to conceive in you this son. Because she was not yet married and she had not been with a man. She was a virgin. And so from this point, Mary hears the promise. She takes hold of the promise. She believes it, but she's still going to go check. She's human like the rest of us. And so she takes off and goes 80 to 100 miles to go and see her cousin, Elizabeth. And at that point, before she's able to even say anything, Elizabeth confirms to her, hey, this child that you're, you're bearing, you're carrying right now, the child in my womb, Elizabeth says, has leaped with joy just at your presence, the sound of your voice. And so not only confirming to the world, hey, this son is the Messiah, but also confirming to Mary, who is a very real person who is going, Hey, my my life's about to be flipped upside down. And so in John, excuse me, Luke chapter 1, what we saw last week was Mary responds by this good news, but before that, Elizabeth says to her, Blessed, or oh, how happy is she who believed. For there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Blessed are you when you believe something that God tells you and you take hold of that. You do everything you can to to live and go, hey, this thing's going to take place. For us, it's very easy seeing the end and the fulfillment of the story. Well, of course, God was going to bring the son through the Virgin Mary. But for her, she's going, how am I supposed to know that this is going to take place? She doesn't get to believe by seeing. She walks by faith and not by sight. And so as a response to this blessing from her cousin Elizabeth, she responded in song. That's why I was encouraging you this morning. Singing this song, these joyful noises, sometimes seem silly to us because what does it do? But we're glorifying God by us just trusting that what he said will be fulfilled. God says that because you believe in his Son you're made righteous and you're cleansed of all of the unrighteousness in your life, then there's some faith that has to go on there because there's some days where we feel like, you know what, God said I'm completely cleansed and I'm new, I'm a new creation in Christ, but I still feel like I'm the same old average Joe who has all this guilt and shame from my past. So we have to take hold of what God says by faith. So Mary's no different. She sang this song and we looked at last week how in this song it's just completely filled with scripture. A 13 to 17 year old young girl filled with scripture. She was not leaning on her own understanding, but she was acknowledging God in all her ways and God was directing her path. And so here we are this week, Mary, it says in verse 56 of Luke chapter one, Mary remained with her about three months and then she returned to her house. Verse 57, now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered and she brought forth a son. This is what God had promised. This week we're looking at the fulfillment of God's promise. Not just, hey, God said, but here's what God said would happen even though it makes no earthly sense. This woman who was not able to conceive, God in his perfect time and gave her a son and had actually told Zechariah, you will name this son john now from that point zacharias could not speak so he couldn't tell his wife hey we're going to name our kid john they didn't get to have the whole talk and go hey what are we going to name them are we going to name him after your father or my family or there was none of that conversation going on and so during this time there was an opportunity for this couple hopefully to hear from the lord and so she says or it says there in verse 58, when her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, her compassion, they rejoiced with her. So this is a fulfillment that the people around her would be blessed. They'd be excited. They would rejoice with them at the giving of this son. So verse 59 says, it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias, Just like in our culture, where there are certain kind of traditions built in, in their culture it was the same way. Now, their culture said if you have a son, that son gets named after the dad. So you'd have Zach 1, and you'd have Zach 2, and Zach 3. You know, it would just be a family name. Now, in our culture, we pass our last name down. You know, Simon Barjona was what uh, one of the New Testament Christians was called. And that name really meant Simon Bar was son of Jonah. So they didn't really spend a whole lot of time on last names. It was really about, more about the first name passing along in the line. And so the custom was that he wouldn't be named after his father, Zacharias. But notice verse 60 says, his mother answered and said, no, he shall be called John. Not, I think he's going to be called, but he, his name is John. That's what he's supposed to be called and the name John actually means God is gracious. So verse 61 continues, but they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who's called by this name. So they made signs to his father what he should excuse me, what he would what he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet, apparently during this 9 months or more while they were conceiving and then she had the, you know, and, and went through the whole pregnancy There was no communication. He still didn't learn sign language. I don't even know if they had that around at the time, but he was writing on tablets to talk with people. So he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote saying, his name is John. So they all marveled, and immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue was loosed, and he spoke, and the first words that he spoke were praising God. Can you imagine John went into the temple at the hour of incense before this was ever promised. And he was doing his daily duty or his, his yearly duty or whatever it was. They cast lots. Whoever in the priesthood had their lot cast would be the one that was called upon to go into the temple to offer up incense at the hour of prayer. And during that time, Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, spoke to him and said, you're going to have a son and you're going to call his name John. And because of his unbelief, the angel said, "Hey, I'm a holy angel of God. I stand in the presence of God, and because you have not believed, you're not going to be able to speak." Can you imagine? You have your first kid and you can't tell anybody. You don't get to tell a soul. And so for that whole time, you could imagine him being taken away with his ability to talk. He could have very easily become bitter at God. God said, "You're not going to speak." I don't know about you guys, but I might have become embittered. But the first thing he that comes off of his lips at the end of his this 9, 10, 11 month, it doesn't say how long it took him to conceive. However long this was, it's almost a year, he wasn't able to speak. And the first thing that comes off of his lips is praise the Lord. Not praise the Lord because I can talk, but praise the Lord who has fulfilled what he said he would do. When God says he's going to do something in your life, and then he does it against all odds. Doesn't make any sense. Do you give praise to him? Think about the lepers that came to Jesus who had leprosy. Nobody had a cure for leprosy, you know, and they came to Jesus. He healed all of them. And only one came back and said, hey, thanks. I'm completely cleansed. Thank you. Sometimes we don't praise God for some of the simplest things. In this case, it's like, well, obviously your, your wife couldn't have a child why wouldn't you praise the Lord when the child comes? But sometimes even in big stuff like that, we the first thing we do is go, oh, look at the baby. But his priorities were right. He said, praise the Lord. This son of mine has come. His mom knew, I didn't even tell her, that the name's got to be John. And so um, his mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke praising God. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them and all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. So, you know, you can see all the things going on around this child's birth, and they're going, There's something special about this kid. This woman couldn't have a baby, this man couldn't speak. And usually when he would come out of the temple of incense, or after giving incense before the Lord, the first thing he would do, stepping outside of the temple, is he would bless the people. The Lord blessed you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. In Numbers chapter 6, there was a blessing. Every time, it would be the same blessing over and over again. But he comes out with this fresh word and isn't able to say anything about it until after the promise is fulfilled. But at that point, he takes no time. He goes straight to it. His father, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 67, and he prophesied, saying. So this is a fresh word from the Lord. And there are two kinds of prophecy. Many times when prophecy comes, there are two elements to it. There is a, a, a near telling, whatever they're saying. There's, a, there's something that God wants to speak to the people that are listening and then there's usually, because of God's almighty power, he can speak something that speaks to us right now that also will be fulfilled later, that has a, a forth-telling promise. And so in this, in this prophecy, there's going to be a, a telling of what God said he would do, and there's also going to be a forth-telling of what God will do through this promise. And what I also love is you can tell that this is definitely a, a prophecy of God, because there are false prophets out there. They speak things that the Lord never told them to say. You know, Many times we'll see them on TV, televangelists, thus saith the Lord. You've know, you got to be careful. You've got to test all things, is what Paul wrote. So not every prophet that says they're of Jesus is. Uh, some of them come to your door, and they're wearing a tie, and they rode a bicycle. You know, Some of them have uh, this place, and they say only 144,000 people will get into heaven. How do you know if a prophet is of God? What I want to observe in this passage is that we know that this is a prophet of God because he doesn't start his prophecy by talking about his son John. He starts it by pointing everyone to Jesus. Now, it would make sense to us if he started first and foremost talking about John. He just had his first son, he's stinking excited. But the first thing he says is this is a prophecy about Jesus. So, verse 68 says. He says there, he says, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy or the Compassionate action that was promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant or promise the oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. So the first portion is about Jesus. And I think it's interesting that he says this all about Jesus because Jesus won't be born for another three months. John the Baptist, or is it six months? There's a portion of time where John the Baptist is born and then there's another amount of time. John the Baptist is older than Jesus. And so he says, blessed is the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people. God's promise was to visit his people to be Emmanuel, God with us. God came to us in the form of a man and he's raised up a horn of salvation for us. Now, this isn't like a big trumpet of salvation. The horn is a symbol of strength in the Bible. So anytime you see them talking about the Lord, our horn, it's a symbol of strength. God is the strength of our salvation. He's the one who does it. And he says has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. The promise was always that the Messiah would come through the heritage or the family tree. He would be a descendant of King David because the promise to King David was, your descendant will sit on the throne of David forever. Not 40 years, not 100 years, but literally forever. So this king that was promised Wouldn't be an earthly king that would just live for a couple generations and then die and then pass it on to his son. But it would be a a fulfillment of that promise where this man would literally live forever. He would not die. Kingdom without end. And so he says also, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began. All these prophets in the Old Testament, all of them, (laughs) even though their message had a very near aspect to it, All of them looked forward to and pointed the people of Israel to this Messiah, Jesus, that we should be saved from our enemies, verse 71, and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy promise, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. So this goes not just back to... Zechariah or Isaiah. This goes to the very inception of the nation of Israel. Before they were ever a people, it was promised to one man. And his descendants were promised that they would be as many as the sands of the seashore and that through his seed, him being at the time barren, just like Elizabeth and Zacharias, they had no children. And God said, Abraham, to you, I promise that your descendants will be a blessing but they will not just be a blessing to your family, they'll be a blessing to ev- a blessing, a blessing to every nation of the Earth. And so that, that's quite a promise. You know it's not just going to be about you, Abraham. It's not just going to be about your kids, but every nation in the world will be blessed by your descendants. And so this promise is being fulfilled through Jesus. And you should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us. Now you could see very easily that when Jesus came on the scene, they would be going, okay, well this is going to be a king, he's going to build up a bunch of armies, and we're going to conquer all our enemies. Because that's the way that kingdoms went. But what God is saying through this Jesus is not so much, I'm going to raise up an army, but he's first and foremost, as himself, he's going to deliver his people from their sins, preparing them for an everlasting kingdom where they will be in the presence of God. And so this promise to grant us, verse 74, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. So God's preparing a people who will be a holy priesthood to represent him to man and man to him, we have a ministry of reconciliation, where which we get to pray for those who don't know the Lord, and at this point they're still welcome to come in. They've been offered the same salvation that you and I are partakers of. And so then he cha- turns the page in verse seventy six, and he starts praying. He's still praying. This is a prophecy, but then he—it's like he changes subjects. He's no longer talking about Jesus. But he turns to his own son, who is a fulfillment of the promise he had been given in the altar, at the temple. He says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. So he's praying now. He's looking at his baby boy, and he's praying over him. Now, we, most of us in here have children, right? And so when we first got our children, you just look at them, you're just like, wow. This came from us. And here's this child and, and they're just so cute, uh, but they poop and they eat and you're just going, what is this all going to come around to? And some of us, we just think, man, I wonder what they're going to look like when they grow up. I wonder what they're going to do for a living. I wonder what they're going to be good at. I wonder what they're going to struggle with. Are they going to be like me? Are they going to struggle with X, Y, and Z? Or are they going to be better than me in that area of my life? And you just, there's all these thoughts that go through your mind. This is intense. This is just the beginning You know, the the birth of a child is just, who knows where it's going to go? And so, but John is unlike many of us, he already knows. God told him through an angel in the temple, this is what your son's life purpose is. How many of you guys have wondered that? Like, God, what do you have for me? What's the purpose for my life? I look at this son, John the Baptist, which it doesn't mean that he was a Baptist, A lot of people are like, "Well, obviously he was Baptist." If you say say to some people John wasn't really a Baptist, he was a baptizer. Blasphemy! You know, (laughs) he was not Assembly of God, or he was not whatever. You know, he but John was a baptizer. They called him John the Baptist because he was baptizing people in the wilderness. You know, sorry, a little rabbit trail there. Um, It's just funny what people have to say. You know, John was obviously a Baptist. That's what they call him. But the point is that he's talking about his son and he's, he's praying over his son the things that God already told him. This is what your son's going to do. And so obviously he could just go, okay, well, let's see if it happens or not. But he doesn't. He starts, the very first thing he does with his son is he tells him about Jesus while he's praying and then he's holding him. And his son, you know, a lot of people are like, well, I'm not going to read my kid the Bible yet. They can't get any of it. Okay, well, it'll bless you. You just never know what they're getting. I don't know what I was learning when I was six months old or one month old, but he's he's just telling them the, of the fulfillment of the promise. But then he starts praying over his child the very things he knows that this child was born for. And I think it's important that we as parents do pray with our children. But sometimes, if the Lord gives you a little direction, it's okay to pray things over them that may not be true. God will sort that all out. You know, I I know lots of people that pray over their kids. Lord, make my Make my kid like the best sports player like Tim Tebow. You know, I I want them to be a blessing. I want them to get out on the field and pray with their coach and be unashamed of you. Or, Lord, I really want my kid to be a missionary. I've heard my pastor praise that over one of his sons. And and his wife just cringes at it because they want their baby boy close. But they're just saying, Lord, whatever you want to do with my child, they're yours. They belong to you, but you allowed me to be a part of their life and their raising. You want me to raise them to be a godly young man or woman? So he, as he's praying for his child, he says, you child will be called the prophet of the highest for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge. This is what your purpose is, John, to, to pass out knowledge of salvation to my people by the remission of their sins. You know what remission means? It means the taking away of their sins. Jesus came to take away, to wash us. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission or forgiveness of sin. That's why the offering of Jesus couldn't just be him coming and saying, hey, bless you. It had to be the very death, the blood spilled out that would be the blood of the lamb that cleanses us, 1 John 1, 9, of all unrighteousness when we come to him and ask for forgiveness. But then he says, through the tender mercy or the compassion of our God with which the dayspring from on high has visited us. Dayspring, if you think about the dayspring, what is that? The, day, the, the spring of the day, the time when the day begins. It's when the sun comes up over the hills. That's the dayspring. Day springs from the, the horizon. Except this isn't the sunrise, S-U-N. This is the sunrise, S-O-N. The rising of the sun. He's going to be born. He's going to live. Everyone's going to watch his character and attributes and see the very character of God in his life. And then after that, he's going to be the propitiation or the payment for our sin that takes away the wrath of God. The wrath of God was poured out upon him so you and I didn't have to experience it. God reconciling us back to him, taking what separated us from him away through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. What is Psalm 23? It says, it says uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And then there's a part in there that says, even though I walk through the shadow or the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil for you are with me. And so at Christmas time we celebrate that Jesus came down to be with us. But then he told his disciples at the end of his run when he was getting ready to be crucified he said he said it's okay that I go to the Father that I've died, I've been rose from the dead and he lives to sit at the right hand of God to intercede to pray for us. You know, many times we want each other to pray for one another and that's good, we should do that. But something we also need to realize is that Jesus is living in heaven. And the thing he lives to do is to pray for you and I. Jesus prays for us. That, that blows me away. I, I would think he had something, to, something better to do. But the most important thing he sees to do until he returns is to pray for you and I. So he went to be with the Father, but he said, I'm not going to leave you like orphans. I'm not just going to make you born again and then you hang out without parents. He says, I'm going to send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, to live in you, to be with you to empower you, to make you able to live this life I've called you to, to reflect the character of God just like I did. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is the same power he's given us to live for him, to live a life that's pleasing to him. So he says, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. To guide our feet, to help us to walk in the way of peace. Uh, James says, blessed are the peacemakers. They sow righteousness through peace. And so Jesus wants to lead us in the way of peace. So verse 80 says, so the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. So he was going to go out to the desert and spend some time with the Lord preparing for this ministry that God had for him. So just a couple of things I want to take away from this. Zacharias and Elizabeth believed the promise of God and it was fulfilled. Many times God promises he's going to do things in our life, whether it's redeeming consequences from our past, whether it's delivering us through a crummy job situation, um, whether it's providing for our families, very practical things whether it's giving us joy and peace in the midst of crazy circumstances. You know, the holidays are coming up. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And then we get together with our family, some of us, and we go, I don't feel it. You know, I'm not there. But what God says is, He's, I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to be your peace. I'm going to be your joy. And his, His fulfillment of that promise won't disappoint us because He's poured His love out in our hearts through His Son, Jesus. And so... What I want to take away mostly from today's passage is just that John John was a fulfillment of the promise, but Elizabeth and Zacharias had to believe it for a long time before it ever came to pass. And sometimes what we don't remember is that though God has promised many things, he's He's promised us precious things in his word. And sometimes we got to dig for him when we find him. Take hold of that thing and anchor your soul to it. Because if you'll do that, it will take you through the times where it seems like God's not speaking to you at all. Zechariah was of the priesthood, and he was still going and doing his duty, even though the nation hadn't heard a fresh word from the Lord for 400 years. They weren't disappointed by the silence. They were actually encouraged, hey, if God's been silent this long, surely he's going to speak sometime soon. And sometimes... We think, man, God's been silent in my life for so long. I just long for a fresh word from Him. But sometimes those desert places are what makes us really thirsty. And when we're thirsty to hear from the Lord, that's when He desires, He delights to speak to us a fresh word that will encourage us. You know? Uh, just this morning we were blessed. We I wouldn't say we were in a desert time. But sometimes we wonder, you know, like, are, are we meeting the needs? Are we, are we doing what God's called us to? And you guys just encouraged the socks off us this morning. You know, we're, we're doing what we do to please the Lord. But sometimes it's, it's nice to have a tangible just confirmation. Hey, keep going. And, and we all need that. I'm sure there were people in Zacharias and Elizabeth's life that were like, hey, keep going. It's going to be okay. I know you're older than typically most people that have babies, but God's got this you know and and in the same way when that child was born you can bet that Mary was so excited to hear about it cuz here comes the messiah and i'm carrying him what's that going to be like and so you know just just to see that and to see Zechariah's faith to go if god's fulfilled this thing then the next thing is just he's going to stretch us a little bit more but he is faithful who called us to it he's going to bring us through it and so as you prepare your heart for christmas Obviously, we celebrate it every day because, you know, I was listening to Joy FM this week and I'm like, you know, there really hasn't been that many Christmas songs. Every song about Jesus is a Christmas song. Every song that reminds us of his faithfulness, of his love for us. I've heard so many fresh songs lately just, you know, uh, there's that song, You're a Good, Good Father, It's Who You Are. We're singing that to God and then remembering that he's a good, good father and we're loved by him. I think we struggle with that more than anything. Does God love me? Yes. Yes, he does. And he showed that to us by providing a salvation sacrifice for us. In that while we were yet sinners, that's when Christ died for us. And so are you having trouble remembering and believing that in this season when everything's chaotic and stuff going on and there's mouthers and there's people that just want to discourage you? You know, he says there in the, the prayer about Jesus, he says uh, to deliver from the hand of our enemies. You know who our enemy is? It's not politics, it's not the people we work with. Paul says that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's e- even the people in our lives that don't believe in Jesus. Our battle is not with them, it's with the accuser of the brethren, it's with Satan, the adversary of God. He wants us to doubt the promise of God. He wants us to not believe it so that we won't take hold of it and anchor ourselves to it. Don't believe the lie. Satan's going to send fiery darts, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. He's using that to refine you. God can even use the the fiery darts of the enemy to to change you and purify your life and and to show you what you're really trusting in. Uh, Sometimes the fiery darts prove to me that I'm really trusted in something that can't be trusted in. God's saying, why don't you trust me and leave the results up to me? And so, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the story of Elizabeth and Zacharias. Um, Probably many years of prayer and doubt. And then at some point, they probably even gave up hope on having a child. And you didn't just give them a child. You gave them a child who would be what Jesus said was the greatest prophet who ever lived. Uh, That's quite the compliment. And so, Lord, thank you for blessing them as they continue to serve you, even though uh, they were, had many disappointments on the road. Lord, as we continue to be prepared for the Christmas season, Lord, we rejoice in the fact that the promise has already been fulfilled. We know way more than Zacharias and Elizabeth knew. We know way more than the Virgin Mary. We know way more than Joseph did. We know that your promise has been fulfilled, and we're not looking for your first coming. We're looking for when the culmination of Israel will happen. When Jesus comes, uh, not in a silent way or in a humble way, in a manger, but he comes riding on the clouds, shining like the sun. And there will be a great trumpet call for all who believe, whether we go to be with him uh, through death and are raised in the resurrection or whether we go to be with him in the clouds. Lord, we look forward to the day where your fulfillment of your promise to Abraham will be fulfilled completely and we will spend eternity rejoicing Uh, that we've been washed and cleansed and made holy and righteous in the eyes of the Lord and given a hope that goes way beyond the grave. Lord, help us to embrace that hope in this season of hope. Help us to share with those around us that uh, life is very, very hard sometimes, but we have hope that takes us beyond the trials and the brokenness and the disagreements and the politics and everything else that goes on. Lord, uh, we hope in you. So Lord, thank you for being our God. Thank you for being our salvation. Thank you for being the one in whom we place all our trust. Help us to live that out practically. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's close with one more song.